The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. You may be seated. Wow, what a great start. Thank you. Uh, I love that um, turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know, I grew up at First Baptist Church, and I think uh, that was the closing song every Sunday. So I had fun uh, whispering to my mom, hey, do you know this song? And I love the, I love the, it's a modern take. I love the chorus. The chorus to that is so pretty, so good, so true. Well, it's great to be together as the church. You know, I, I really appreciated uh, Pastor Bill's sermon last week, just emphasizing again the importance of the church, the impact that we have on one another you know, coming alongside, weeping with those who weep, um, celebrating on special occasions. And, and that's, man, that's so true in my experience. I, I took the church for granted growing up. And then when we were going through difficulties and then the church rallies around us as a family, uh, I had a brand new appreciation for the church. And so um, I just really appreciated that. And it makes me think all the more. You know, yesterday we, we had a women's mini conference that was a lot of fun. And um, the emphasis was loving well. You know, how do we love well within the church and in the world? And, a, you know, a big concern that we've, that we've brought that I just want to remind you of and encourage you in, you know, how we love well. We have families that, that want to be here um, that, that are affected by disability and can't. And so we really need to love them well. And uh, so we need volunteers. We need, we need buddies for the buddy ministry. We need Sunday school teachers and helpers. And I know most people are just thinking, I don't know if that's my, I, you know, I think there's sometimes there's a time just to step out in faith and say, you know, I don't feel adequate for this. I don't feel able to do this, but God, I'm going to trust you to, to provide and to, and to do this. So I want to pray to that end, just that the Lord would provide. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't like guilt trips, but ultimately that's what it, what it is. Not ultimately, not a guilt trip. Ultimately it's the Lord providing, right? Everything that we have, all the different gifts, the musicians, uh, areas of the church, it's the Lord's provision. And so let's go to him and just ask for this provision because I want to love these families well. And I know you do too. So let's, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we love your church. We, we want to grow more and more as a family. To not simply be an audience, but instead parts of a body that function and, um, and help and work together to bless others. And Father, we recognize that there are some who have physical limitations that prevent them from more obvious areas of service. And and I want them to be encouraged with the use of their gifts, the gifts that you've given them. Um, Help us all, Lord, to put the gifts that you have given to us, these abilities to use for the strength and health of your church. Encourage us to be praying, encourage hospitality, thoughtful notes, meals. Lord, help us all to reach out and find ways to be a blessing to others. And Lord, we pray specifically for our need of buddies, 
to families affected by disability. We love each family. We know for some it's much more difficult to come to church. And so we want to be a help to them in this way in particular. So please equip us. Please provide what's necessary to to help more and more people to return to church. We pray for teachers. We pray for helpers in Sunday school, for helpers in the nursery. Lord, we ask that you would move us and provide for these needs. Lord, thank you for those who are serving. Bless them. Bless others as they step out in faith and trust you to give them what they need, to be an instrument of blessing in your hands, to be a loving church, a family that is a witness to our community and brings glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I didn't, I didn't mention if you're interested, uh, I think, you know, email us. Talk to one of us, email us, info, if you want info on this, info at bearcreekchurch.org, and that would be great. And uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles now to Luke 19, and Pastor Dale, would you read God's Word? The need for volunteers is critical as we re-engage after these months of the lockup. So, thank you for thinking this through. Yeah, our scripture text is in Luke 19. We'll begin with verse 28. I almost lost it when we started singing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I, uh, in my junior high years, I was at a big charismatic church where that was a staple. And those were very formative years for me as the Lord was working in my heart. I was making decisions about my relationship with the Lord when I wasn't thinking about girls. Those are very important years. That song was, and I love that take on it. As you say, that was fantastic. Thank you, Danny, wherever you are. From Luke 19, we begin verse 28. And if you wish to do so, I invite you to stand if you're able in deference to the authority of God's word. And when he had said these things, Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near the Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, excuse me, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying it, the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for blessing us with good teachers like Pastor Bill, Pastor Brian. Now help us to be good listeners like those Bereans, eagerly accepting the teaching, checking it against your word, especially today in this glimpse of the king. In his name I pray, amen. And you may be seated. Well, you know, people are fascinated with royalty. In May 2018, nearly 2 billion people around the globe viewed the royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, a wedding that cost nearly $45 million. In contrast, though it was a much better experience for me personally, Jennifer and I were married around 33 years ago for a few million less and not quite the TV viewing audience, though it was a wonderful day. I suppose it's reasonable that people would rather watch them drive away in a Jaguar. I think it was an electric Jag, kind of a custom Jaguar, worth nearly half a million dollars, as opposed to Jen and I leaving in my dad's Lincoln. It was a nice car at the time, but you know. Um, that Lincoln more humble, more donkey-like than a Jaguar. Have you ever been in a public place and there's a buzz and it's like something's going on and there's, um, you know, maybe, maybe a movie star, some celebrity, some sports star. Um, it, it wasn't in public, but I remember Jen and I being up in Portland and riding a hotel elevator and, and the uh, Golden State Warriors walk in <laughs> that we are standing on the, but, but when you're out and there's, there's a buzz and people's heads are turning there's an electricity. They're trying to see what's, what's going on. You know, thousands will show up at Buckingham Palace with the hope to get a glimpse of the queen. There's, there's energy in the air. You can feel the excitement, the buzz of the people around you. And, and we get small tastes of this when we maybe go to a big concert or a you know, a championship game. And that's something that we used to be able to do. You know, instead of watching it, we'd actually be able to go. And it was really great. And maybe that'll come back someday. If you buy, you know, think about it. You buy a ticket for some big event in advance, months in advance. And you're waiting. And there's just growing excitement and anticipation for the big day to finally come. Think of the Israelites. They, they didn't know when the big day was going to finally arrive, but it was, it was a part of their entire history, their, their heritage. Maybe like some of us who 
know that one day Jesus will come again. We know the day will come. We imagine, we, or we try to imagine how incredible and glorious that day will be. And we might even imagine that, that it's going to be in our lifetime. But many people throughout church history imagine it would be in their lifetime. And who knows, you know, it, it could be many generations from now. That day... Um, we just, we just have this, this sense of anticipation that we know that it's coming. So, so think of the feel. Think of the excitement, the electricity when Jesus comes riding down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Thousands of years of anticipation, not months with a ticket, but thousands of years of anticipation singing psalms that spoke of this day, looking forward to this day. And the people begin to realize in the moment, it's it's here. This is it. The day is finally here. Loud shouts of Hosanna bursting forth from masses of people. The expectation of Messiah throughout a nation's history is finally realize it's now expressed with great shouts of praise and adoration. Can, can you imagine? All of our comparisons, they pale in comparison to this. Nothing comes close to the significance of the Messiah and all that he means to his people. And we maybe see illustrated pictures of Palm Sunday where Jesus is on a donkey with this little crowd and children running around. No. Masses of people. Great roars and Hosanna. Not, not some cute, quaint thing. It, that does not communicate what was this day. This would have been the ultimate place to be. The ultimate event. And yet, maybe we miss some of it. Because we know what happens. Right? We know the, the false expectations of the people. We know the rest of the story. And maybe we miss the, the intentional glory that God gave the people to see. God gave us a glimpse of who Jesus is. He is king. So there is a reality to this. Not, we shouldn't just look at this and think, yeah... They misunderstood. Don't miss this. Even though the people would so quickly change their shouts from Hosanna to crucify him, in this moment, their excitement and elation were true. It was true because Jesus really is king. He really is the Messiah. He really is deserving of this kind of honor and praise and excitement and adoration. These expressions, they were short-lived, but they were true. This is who he is. He is really worthy of all praise. And so today we celebrate this fact. We know who he is, and we we know he is deserving of this kind of excitement and joy and praise. We know that he is and will be victorious. 
We know that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And much of the Bible gives us a, a taste of the, of the already and not yet. The inauguration and the eventual consummation. The kingdom of God which began at his first coming. And it's now. He is king right now. And yet it will be more fully realized in a day to come when he comes again. So let this be our focus this morning. That Jesus is king. He is our joy. He is the answer to our greatest need. And he is worthy of our praise. Today is Palm Sunday. And in this account from the Gospel of Luke, God gives us a glimpse of Jesus' kingly honor, his royal entrance, his triumph that reveals his true identity, inviting people to acknowledge him as their king. Soon he will suffer. Soon he will suffer humiliation, the humiliation of the cross, But before then, God wanted people to see. God wanted people to get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And to give his son the praise that he so richly deserves. From our text, I want to focus on three things. The, The king's claim to his property. The king displaying his humility. And the king receiving some of his glory. We read that Jesus sends a couple of his his disciples ahead to prepare for his royal entrance. And we're not given a lot of details about this exchange. We're left to, to speculate because it looks like they're just going and ripping off this donkey. Jesus tells them that if, you know, if anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord has need of it. And we're left wondering, you know, is it, is it some kind of weird Jedi mind? The Lord has need of this. Or is it um, the foreknowledge of, of Jesus' divinity? Did Jesus set something up ahead of time and make arrangements? Did, they, did he know that this man would recognize the disciples as being his disciples? So we're not really told what was going on. We're not given an explanation. But what we do see is that the owner of the colt was ready. He was ready and he was willing to serve Jesus in this way. The need was given and this man responded in willing service. Just like today. It belongs to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. Everything is his, and he has chosen to bless you with the privilege of your participation. What a great honor. What a great privilege. Our seemingly small, you know, it didn't seem like much, right? It's just my, you know, it's my donkey. Seemingly small. What a massive event when it's especially put to use for the, for the king. So our seemingly small contribution as a helper or setting up or putting some chairs away or sending a card or taking a meal to someone, when we realize 
It's for the king that it honors him and that we're used for his purposes and his glory. Then all of the ways in which we serve are very significant. They are a joy. They are a a blessing. So can you imagine how this man must have felt at the realization that the Messiah, with all of this incredible excitement that, that comes forth from that moment, the public shouts of praise, that he, the ultimate royalty, was riding on his donkey. Jesus Think of it. Jesus, who didn't own anything but the clothes on his back, the sandals on his feet. Jesus, who needed to borrow someone's coin to make the illustration of whether we should pay taxes to Caesar or not. Jesus, who said he had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, who, according to Philippians 2, gave up his divine privilege in order to humbly serve us. Jesus, who always was giving to others and never getting for himself. Now Jesus, in preparation for his triumphal entry, orchestrates these events and says that he needs this donkey. This is how Jesus decided to live. But we know who he really is. Jesus is is fully man. He's humble. And yet he is fully God. And as God and as the true king, then we realize that he owns everything. He's the king of it all. What a great God. What a great savior to include us in his work. That donkey was rightfully his. After all, he's the one who made it. Jesus is the creator God. We read in Colossians 1 that by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. That donkey was made through Jesus and made for Jesus. And for this particular time, that donkey belonged to him. And he was using it now for his glory. So what does this tell us? It tells us that since Jesus is king, then everything in his kingdom belongs to him. He has the right to claim personal ownership of everything he has made. The psalmist recognized this truth in saying and praising God that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his. And this applies to everything else in the entire universe. Each and every star, this donkey, your car, your life, each and every breath, your talents and abilities, they all exist because God has created them. And what a privilege. What a privilege to use all that we have and all that we are for His glory. We need to be like this this owner of the donkey, who when he heard that the Lord had need of it, immediately he let him have it. So our money, our time, our possessions, if the Lord needs it, then we need to be ready to say yes. 
it really is his royal property. And it's, if we believe this to be true and believe the, the purposes in which we use it, how much better, right? How much better to invest in that kingdom than our own? On this Palm Sunday, we see Jesus claiming his property. And secondly, we see him displaying great humility. The, the reason Jesus needed this donkey was to display his humility. This was a public statement that fulfilled ancient prophecy. Instead of riding in on a, on a stallion at the front of a great army bringing great riches, he came gentle and riding on a donkey, knowing the prophecy from Zechariah that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus needed this donkey as an instrument to fulfill this prophecy and to communicate what kind of king he was. And by the reaction of the crowd, they saw Jesus riding down the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem. They knew, they knew he was coming as their king. Eventually, they got the clue that the donkey communicated humility and that he was a, a new kind of king. They saw him and greeted him as their king. They responded with great shouts of praise, but eventually it, it dawns on them, wait a minute, that Jesus isn't making a political statement to overthrow Rome. Instead, he's making a, he's making a spiritual statement, one of meekness and gentleness and peace. And, of course, we know that they reject him. And in keeping with this, he... Being humble, the Prince of Peace, he does not defend himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. And there are implications for us as Jesus rides into our lives today. He is superior. He is the King. And he could crush us. But instead he comes in gentleness and humility saying, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And if this is the kind of king that Jesus is, then, then how should we serve him? Since he comes to us in gentleness and humility, then we who love him, Shouldn't we have the same kind of humility as our king? One scholar said that Jesus could just as well have ridden into the city on a high horse, but the donkey stands out as a deliberate rejection of this symbol of arrogant trust and human might, expressing subservience to the sovereignty of God. Jerusalem's king is, a, is of humble mien, yet victorious. And so 
it has always been that the church does not effectively spread the gospel by sword or by arrogance, but by mirroring the humble spirit of its king and savior. And we might even say by by giving an offering that provides support for Sam in a little part of Africa, very humble and powerful. We need to resist the temptation to ride in with all of the answers, with, with an arrogant attitude that puts people in their place. Instead, we need to come to people with the same kind of gentleness and humility as King Jesus. Lastly, on this Palm Sunday where we see Jesus claiming his property and displaying his humility, we also see him receiving some of his glory that he is due. And oh, what a, what a privilege for these disciples you know, think of it. They they come and they meet him with this donkey, and there's this private moment going on. They recognize that that a king does not ride bareback. And so, what do we see? We see that they, knowing that he deserves a royal saddle, they take off their cloaks and they put them on the donkey, showing Jesus great dignity and and honor. And again, this is, this is at the start. You know, the waves of people and the realization, this hasn't, this hasn't hit the people yet. It hasn't begun to spread. So this is this, this intimate, private moment be- between Jesus and his disciples. And then eventually there's this domino effect. As more and more people growing in, in number and realization and noise, they begin to see Jesus riding over this royal carpet. This royal carpet made of cloaks and palm branches. But it began with Jesus and his disciples giving him a, a royal saddle. And then they actually picked him up. And set him on, on this donkey. Actually picking up Jesus, setting him on the donkey, picking him up like a, like a hero and a champion that he is. And all we can think of in our modern day is that we might, might think of players in a sport picking up their coach on their, on their shoulders and riding in victory and celebration and triumph. And, and uh, that's such a poor example, isn't it? You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't come close, but that's the best we can. And of course, it has to be the Niners and not the Raiders. No. But it's really, I mean, that, it's funny to think of it. They picked him up. He's, the, he's their champion. Set him on this donkey. What a great privilege for these, these disciples. Jesus is king. He's picked up. He's set upon this royal mount. And now his disciples, first to give him glory, begin to make a royal path. And they spread out their cloaks on the road before him. And then more and more people begin to do the same thing, following after this example, giving Jesus honor 
as this massive crowd begins to throw down palm branches and cloaks before him, communicating a welcome to the king. And that Jesus, Jesus is too worthy to be riding on some ordinary road. No, he deserves a royal carpet. It's as if the people were saying, King Jesus, you are so much greater than I am, so much more worthy of honor, that when your donkey walks across my clothing, it's not an insult. It's a privilege. It's an honor. We used to hear of a man's chivalry by not letting a woman walk through a puddle. He'd take off his coat and Rather than her getting her feet wet, he was honored to lay it down across the puddle for her to walk on. And this just seems weird in our day. And I I doubt that today's culture, where it's offensive to just open a door for a woman, um, that this would be received very well nowadays. But the original intent, the original intent is just to, to show honor. And it's beautiful. The people not only didn't mind that the donkey walked across their clothing, they were privileged to show honor to the king. And look at how this act of honor and praise spread and grew. And what does this say? How does this, how does this illustrate what happens when we, when we speak highly of Jesus? When we sing his praises with with a heart of conviction. And as we do so, what does it encourage others around us to, to start joining in, to start showing him honor and praise? And sadly, I don't know where this comes from, but sadly a lot of a lot of men have I think the weird idea that singing is more for women. Where did that come from? Men, we, we, we think sometimes that singing is more something for women. And I, maybe it's the Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs that we feel uncomfortable with. And thankfully, we don't, we don't do those. And we like good hymns and songs with good theological truth. But at the same time, we're called to express our love. We're called to express our devotion to Jesus. He is our king. And so men, we need to sing. And women, we all need to sing out because Jesus is king. He's worthy. He's worthy of our loud and heartfelt expressions of praise. And I know, like I've told you before, that's why I sit up front. I don't have a good voice. And I shouldn't even think that way. I shouldn't care. Right? We shouldn't, it's not about us. Don't treat our time of worship like a, like a playlist where you can skip a song that you don't care for. Sing out. It's not a, a concert where you come just to listen. It's not about you. It's not about our preferences. It's about Jesus. Like this crowd. Think of it, like this crowd and just this growing and building, your participation invites the participation of others. 
And since Jesus is worthy of our praise, then we should want, shouldn't we? If Jesus is worthy of our praise, and if our singing out and our participation encourages others to do so, shouldn't we want that? Shouldn't we want more and more people to sing out loud? Don't you love, this is why I love coming to church and not just watching. It was hard watching online. Because one of the great things about being here is to, is to hear all of you sing. Oh, it's wonderful. You don't get that anywhere. You can't get that on a podcast. Or if you just even hear singing. There's nothing like being here. And singing out and encouraging others and seeing tears and joy at the realization that Jesus is king. So we want, we want people to sing out. Jesus is coming. He's receiving the, the praise and adoration and loud shouts and palm branches and cloaks being thrown down before him. God gives this picture to us, this small glimpse of who Jesus really is and what kind of attention and admiration and honor and praise that he deserves. And more and more people begin to join in the excitement. And then there's, there's some, what do we see in the text? There's some guys slumping, hands in their pockets. Do they have pockets in this? There's, you get the idea. They're slumping, scowl on their face, not joining in. All they can say is, Jesus, you, you should really tell them to be quiet. Stop carrying on like this, all this enthusiasm and praise. Jesus, tell them to stop it. And I love Jesus' response. If they stop, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I'm the king. I'm the creator. I'm the Messiah who is worthy of all praise. Creation itself is groaning for the day of redemption. The long-awaited king comes on the scene and the pent-up longing and frustration, and groaning for things to be made right. The effects of sin, the injustice and evil, it's all been building and building. All of this pressure, and then like a dam breaking forth, all of this praise comes rushing out, and there's no stopping it. So if they become silent, the rocks would cry out. Oh, we don't want to be confused with, with this, with these Pharisees. It's not about us. The praise is going to happen whether we join in or not. But oh, how much better to be a part of it, right? What a great privilege and honor to sing out to the king. What a glorious day this was. To get a glimpse 
of who Jesus truly is, what Jesus truly deserves. And one day, it's going to be really clear. There will be a final triumphant day as we see him coming on the clouds. Maybe in our lifetime, maybe not. We're going to be a part of it, though, one way or another. And on that day for his people, there will be no way, no way there's going to be any half-hearted participation. Do you think? No way. Any, you know, shyness or, oh, you're not going to be thinking about you. (laughs) You're going to be shouting at the top of your lungs with the most joy you've ever had. No thought, no worry about your voice and whether you're on key or not. Only glad expressions of praise as we bow our knee, confess with our tongue that Jesus is Lord. Right? Look forward to that day. It's going to be great. Let's pray. Our great God, glorious King, we come to you with thankfulness in our hearts for this glimpse in your word that communicates the honor and praise that Jesus deserves. Father, our our concept of a king is distorted. All examples fall short. We get earthly pictures, examples of showing honor, and we know that Nothing, nothing can compare to the reality of King Jesus. Lord, help us to see him as our sovereign. That he owns, that he has the right to everything that we have, every gift, every ability that we possess. He is the creator and all things exist through him and for him. So remind us of this truth. Make us, make us ready. Make us willing to give and to serve for the sake of his honor and praise. Lord, help us to be a church that loves and serves one another, that is a witness to the world around us, that clearly, that we are clearly seen as those who are committed to Jesus. Keep us in your word. Your word is truth. Help us to be humble like our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.